Welcome to the Firestarter Podcast. People, ideas, and conversations that move us forward. I'm your host, Willa Kammerer, and it's my passion, my purpose, and my business to make the world a better place through storytelling, which is why we're here today. We'll talk to mission-driven entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and investors, thought leaders, researchers, and experts on the front lines of the world's most pressing issues about designing and thriving in careers of impact. Hello, podcast listeners. Happy New Year. Happy 2022. I just wanted to take this moment to take a little break from our typical format just to pass along my warmest New Year's wishes and also to say that today we have a very special guest. This was something of a rush episode. I reached out to my friend Katie just a couple of weeks ago to see if she'd be available to have this conversation before reaching the new year just because I felt like the kind of perspectives she lends are so pertinent to this particular moment with the holidays, where we are in the pandemic, where we didn't necessarily expect to be right now, and with the new year right upon us, as we all are trying to figure out how to straddle this new world of in-person connecting, virtual connecting, and how to combine and fuse those two experiences. And without further ado, I'm so happy to introduce today's special guest. My guest today is Katie McDonald, the founder and CEO of Be Nourished. That's B period nourished, a company focused on keeping you on the right path for self-care. Driven by her own desire for self-care after mental and physical burnout from corporate work and motherhood, she set out as a self-care strategist to drive change in other people's lives. And side note, I've seen it in action and what Katie does and is doing is really, really powerful work. So I'm honored to be in conversation with her and share it with you today. In earlier years, Katie studied the benefits of whole foods and plant-based diets. She was trained at the Institute of Integrative Nutrition and the Natural Gourmet Institute in New York City, and now focuses on her business, speaking, and teaching at the Rhode Island School of Design. In today's conversation, we discuss thoughts on the new year, 2022, self-care, and cultivating respect for your body and mind. We discuss her framework of accountability and how to ensure you're an active and informed participant in your well-being. We also reflect on her own story and work. I'm so excited to bring you this conversation with Katie and hope that it inspires you to continue to give yourself the love you deserve in the new year and always. Hi, Katie. Welcome to the show. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here too. Well, happy new year. Uh, As we're recording this, it's early in the new year of 2022. Um, How are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, farewell to 2021 is what I think. I'm ready to embrace a new year and to begin again. Every day, begin again, really. Definitely, definitely. Well, just to give folks, folks have already heard a little bit of an intro, but you are the founder and CEO of Be Nourished, which is concierge coaching for high achievers. You help, you know, busy folks who are doing important things in the world, you know, pause in their, you know, kind of busy careers and lives and remember that it's really important to take care of ourselves amidst that and, you know, that that we really can't go out and do 
huge things in the world if we're not kind of tending to our, our own gardens or, you know, you have so many wonderful ways of describing it. So I just love that mission. And, you know, in thinking of starting a new year, um, you know, I couldn't think of a better conversation to be having. So just very thrilled to have you here. Oh, thank you. I'm really excited because I know this is a, pa a passion project for you. You care immensely about self-care. You are a beautiful role model for it. And I'm so um, grateful to have this conversation with you. Well, we're always on this journey, aren't we? And it's every day, as you said, you know, kind of a, a new process that we have to kind of recommit to and figure out how it how it all fits together in our lives as, as they evolve. But I appreciate that. Thank you. So do you want to, you know, how I'd love to dig in a little more into your personal story of how you got into this world. You know, I've, I've heard bits and pieces, you know, we're friends, but um, I, I know there's a lot more there, you know, and I'd just love to share that with our listeners. Oh, I'd be happy to. Um, I was a doer. I never learned how to be. I, the only lever I pulled was working harder. It was how I navigated the world. And so I graduated from college and went directly to San Francisco with um, the man who was to become my husband and still is um, 30 years uh, uh, later. And I worked for Time Magazine. I sold advertising in 45 national publications, but I sold more than advertising space. I sold my, sold my soul. I was exhausted. I was depleted. I traded my health for one more sale. I had something to prove and I did it by neglecting myself because I thought I had to choose take care of yourself or be productive and if that's the forced choice, I'm always going to choose productivity. And that's what I chose over and over again until I increasingly got sick and I had to, I had to stop. I had to renegotiate the way I navigated the world. Where do you, you know, as, as you're describing this, this kind of like intense drive that you felt within yourself, you know, where do you think this come from, comes from? Is it, you know, societal? Is it, you know, innate? You know, where, where do we get this, you know, feeling that we just need to be, need to keep achieving to be enough? Well, I logged a lot of hours on a therapy couch. I can tell you that I have journaled a lot. I have been on a journey since I was very young, um, trying to figure out that same question. And really the, at the bottom line is when we don't feel like we're good enough, we do too much and we can never do enough. And so I was really compensating for this sense of inadequacy of just figuring that the only way that I could earn a spot in the world was to work hard for it every single day and outwork anybody else. Um, because I really felt like I had to prove something. And, um, and what I ended up proving to myself is that self-care is a valid, legitimate pursuit, not the nuisance that I thought it was, not the obstacle to being successful, but the way that we can be sustainably successful. I'd love to dig in and, and learn more, you know, about your own healing journey and then kind of the, you know, whether you knew from the beginning along the way that you wanted to share that with others, or if that was, you know, an, an aha moment that you had at a certain point. I had so many moments, but for me, I, I had to um, bottom out in my career. I reached this point where I literally could not pull it off anymore. I often say to my clients, like, there is no have it all together club. But if there were, I told myself I was a founding member and I had to consistently look like I had it all together. I had to prove to myself that I had it all together. And then I missed one meeting. 
And I wasn't, I was so vigilant in my day-to-day life that missing one meeting was not an option, but it told me how far gone I was, how, how, um, there was no coming back. I mean, I I was going to be kicked out of a fictional club of have it all together. I now didn't have it all together. Now the whole world knew because I missed one meeting. I mean, that's how far gone I was. All the symptoms and my body begging me to get back out of my head into my body, take the elevator down, inhabit my body. And the body gave me symptom after symptom that I ignored. And frankly, youth enabled me to do it for a while. Um, I got away with it. But that one meeting was the wake up call. That's when I knew there was, there was no going back. I could not, I couldn't um, pull it off anymore. So I had suicidal thoughts I, because I didn't know how to be in a world if I didn't um, have the perception, the self-perception and the projection that I had it all together. I didn't know what that looked like. And um, so I didn't want to live at all. I mean, that was, that was, it was so foreign to me that my only option was to figure out a way to not live. And um, thankfully that, you know, I chose the death of my career over my own death. Um, I left corporate America. I made a decision on one of the darkest days that I was going to leave. My husband supported that completely. It really was, it was a non-choice. I mean, I was out of choices at this point. I didn't have the luxury to make a decision that it was that desperate. And, um, so I made it, I made a decision to quit five months later, um, only because I had a big bonus check. I mean, I really should have checked out um, sooner, but I, I needed and wanted that check. And within two weeks of making the decision to quit, um, we conceived our son. And, you know, I I was not preventing, right? I was just not preventing a child, but there was clearly no room in my life for a child. And it took that decision for me to say, um, I've got to figure out another way, another identity. So I went from that corporate America identity within months to becoming um, a mom, which is a very encompassing identity, as you know well. And I replaced that obsessional, you know, perfectionistic approach to business, I applied to now parenting. So I hadn't really figured it out yet. Um, I, I just, I transferred it. It was a different kind of intensity, but the expectations were just as punishing, even more so in a way, because the stakes felt so high. And it took me getting sick again, really sick, ulcerative colitis, pneumonia, shingles, asthma, allergies, anxiety, obesity. I mean, everything. I needed that cocktail of everything and the responsibility to my son for me to wake up and say, okay, um, this is, I, I have to completely reinvent myself and I have to sit with the discomfort of not having a title. Yeah. Wow. So, so many things that we could explore there, but I just, you know, it's just so it, this idea of, you know, wherever, wherever we go, there you are, wherever you go, there you are, you know, and it's, it's very true. And I think, you know, part of what I really admire in your work is that, you know, you're not, working on the surface level, you're trying to really, you know, work with people to, you know, understand these deeper patterns, work on these deeper patterns and, you know, build sustainable habits and tools, you know, and, you know, just, just to help people move beyond that. that Well, you know, I, I appreciate that Willa. And I think it's important to note that all the time while I was in my career, 
My main passions were nutrition, alternative health, meditation. Like I was every book by my nightstand, none of which I read uh, because I was just so exhausted and constantly working. Um, you know, I did read, but it was every, every, any passion that I had that was outside of my career was all about well-being and wellness. But it was an intellectual passion, it wasn't implemented. And that's why in my work as a keynote presenter, in my work as a concierge coach and a self-care strategist, it's all about the strategies and the implementation or else it's mind candy. It, it was just, it never, I never integrated it into my daily habits. And that's why I'm obsessed about it now because I had the knowledge. I was dispersing it freely. I mean, people would come up to, I was the one everybody came to for all this advice about how to be well. And meanwhile, I was completely falling apart. And I was just as, you know, I was in a state of delusion and denial um, and obviously presented it really well because, because I was the source for that alternative healthy lifestyle. But um, you can, you know, you can read about it all day long, but until you implement it, until you actually make it who you are, and that part of your identity and your day-to-day -day commitment to yourself, um, it's, it's useless. <laughs> it's absolutely useless. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, I'm completely guilty. I have stacks and stacks of, you know, kind of wellness books from over the years, and I do continue to accumulate them. And it's, you know, long similarly been, you know, a personal interest and a passion of mine. Um, I think that there can be this allure and kind of false sense, you know, in our consumer society that wellness is something that can be purchased, you know, whether it's a, a book or a Peloton bike or um, just, you know, latching on to the, to the latest trend. But, um, you know, as, as you point out, it's something that really needs to be integrated into day-to-day -day routines, you know, something that needs to be committed to and recommitted to and, 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 and have to, we have to figure out how, it's compatible with our real lived lives, not just um, kind of a program off of the shelf. And if, if we don't figure out how to really sustainably integrate it, um, then then it's really not serving us. Well, and I love gear and tools. I have a Peloton. I mean, like I I love that. I mean, I really do love resources because I think they can they can make a huge difference. But none of them um, are as impactful as self compassion. And that is, that is a daily practice for me. It doesn't come naturally. Um, I have to often act as if I'm worthy of the same treatment and respect and love that I um, try to bring to the world. And, um, but that is a daily habit. And, you know, I'm still in the trenches. It is not something, it's not like this light switch went off and it all made sense. I am constantly recalibrating. And, and I think, you know, you can't buy self-compassion. You, um, it is a daily, it's the monotonous daily habits that transform. You know, I would go to a therapist, I would read a book, how to love yourself. You know, they'd always say, just love yourself. Well, thank you very much. But what does that mean? Like, I, I've never, like, and I hadn't even met anybody. I, I would say, oh, wow, they really love themselves. Like, I didn't, I didn't, and sometimes still don't even understand what that meant. But what I've discovered is I have increasingly started to love myself um, when, when I act myself through it. It is, it is a habit first. I, you know, I believe it's a, it's, a, it's a behave, believe, become model. 
And I always had reversed those in lots of ways. I thought I had to believe first and then that would inspire action. But, you know, act, act first and then it follows. And then eventually when you have these habits that have accumulated and become part of the, you know, the oxygen of your day, all of a sudden it's like, wow, I'm actually treating myself like I respect myself and oh, I actually do. And, and that's been so, so. I love the gear, but it really is, how do we talk to ourselves? And, and if I were to summarize one of my definitions of self-care, it's knowing ourselves, being curious about ourselves as much as we are about the lives of strangers, the postured lives of strangers on social media, show an ounce of that interest in our own lives, study ourselves, and, and then have enough commitment and discipline to do what we need to do once we've learned what we need. And you're not always going to like what you learn when you study yourself. You're not always going to have the answer. The answer when you ask yourself, what do I need, might be you need to go to bed at 9 p.m. And the tantrum, you know, the, the toddler in us is going to tantrum saying like, no, but I want to, you know, I want to do this. I want to do that. It's like, yeah, but we have to parent ourselves. So I think self-care is about parenting ourselves. It's about adulting. It's honoring that those child needs without indulging them. And I think most importantly, the, the dance between when to get off our back and when to get off our ass. You know, we can be brutal with ourselves and we need to know when to back up and be kind. And other times we can be checked out and inert. And that's when we need to get off our ass. And so knowing ourselves to know, oops, you know, I've got to bring myself back to, oops, you know, it, it, is, a, it is a daily beautiful meditative practice if we can reframe it in that way instead of another to-do. Yeah, also powerful. And I think, you know, as you described, just that kind of self knowing and and that feeling of acting from a place of alignment. And I know myself, you know, I have in so many different domains of life, you know, acted from that place of of alignment, such a powerful feeling. And I've also, you know, put that aside to participate in different things to say yes, to to be a people pleaser, um, to, you know, kind of keep up the projections. I mean, it's so easy to do. And I think especially with our social media culture, there, there's a real pressure to do that. And it, it kind of goes counter current, you know, to, to do otherwise. So, um, yeah, I mean, we have to be rebellious. I mean, there's no question because society is not supporting this work. Society is forcing us constantly challenging us to look outward and distracting us from the real work, which is to look inward. Byron Katie says, it's not your job to like me, it's mine. And I I find that so powerful because we spend so much energy, especially women, spend so much energy trying to get people to like a version of ourselves that we don't even recognize as our true selves and, um, and spend very little time about the relationship we have with ourselves. And the fact is, the relationship we have with ourselves is, is the one, you know, it's till death do us part, right? It's the one that will outlast all others. And yet it's the one that we're most likely to neglect. So, so true. So I agree with all of this and I'm sure so many of our listeners do, you know, hopefully all of them, you know, very much in the abstract, but you work with people, you know, in their real lives. How do we, how do you work with your clients and how do we, how do we begin to implement you know, these kind of abstract lessons that we all, when we hear them say, yes, yes, yes. And I need to do that. And I do do that. And I try to do that. How do we bring that into our, you know, daily lives? 
Yeah, it's a great question um, because otherwise it's just theory and and these external plans, uh, right? Like follow this diet, follow this program. But but this is really about following yourself. So number one is we've got to slow our roll. We are like I was addicted to busyness, and we have to choose a slower, more reflective instead of a reactive approach to life. So I advise, it's, it's funny, one of the first homework assignments I give my coaching clients is to have a cup of tea. Like, and that, I know you love your tea. Um, you and I share that. And, and um, why? Because anything that's going to activate our senses is going to get us back into our bodies, into our souls, into our spirits, and out of our heads. Um, so a cup of tea from the moment you're boiling the water till you take that last sip, do nothing else. So every sense is being activated and we learn how to tolerate at first, survive at first our own company. And um, Pink, the artist Pink says, uh, sings, the quiet scares me because we scream the truth. It screams the truth. And that is so terrifying for us to be in our own company. And, and that is where we start repairing the relationship we have with ourselves. So we have to allow ourselves to change the way we change, to actually, instead of choosing immediate um, action and, uh, and fixing ourselves, right? We instead say, I'm going to get to know myself. I'm not broken. I'm going to be curious about myself. And the only way I can be curious about myself is if I observe myself, if I sit in my own company. So having a cup of tea is our first act of um, befriending ourselves. And the next piece is observing the habits that you currently have. So I, um, I developed, as you know, a planner and, and that planner is designed for us to study ourselves. So what is it? What are your current routines now? If you think you don't have a morning routine, I would challenge you. You may not have a conscious morning routine, but I guarantee you, you have one. Um, so what is that morning routine right now? And then asking yourself, so dissect that, figure out what that is. It doesn't take long. Just trace yourself in a 30 minute window throughout an entire day. It's fascinating. I'll have my clients do it for two weeks. They don't like it. Everybody resists. But the fact is, it is gold because we, the way we think we're living and the way we're living um, do, not, um, do not correlate for most of us. We are, our natural human state is to be in denial, um, to be in a trance. And, and I think society magnifies that and just, and like we said, distracts it. So really studying what our current habits are right now, and then asking ourselves, does it work for me? So looking, you know, the morning routine, the nighttime routine, the transition from work to our home lives is that's when a lot of like a lot of us fall apart at that point. We could be good in the morning by noon. We're good. But by three o'clock, our energy levels drop and we're racing to the Snickers and, and we're really not, we don't have systems in place because we don't understand, oh, this is who I am and this is what I need. And how can we protect ourselves? It's kind of like, um, I talk to my clients about packing a diaper bag. So, you know, like, I'm sure you, if, if you're anything like I was, I carried the luggage. With that. Right? <laughs> we think about what does my baby need, right? And we do this for our businesses too. What does my business need? I'm going to a presentation. What do I need? We have this whole list, but very um, rarely do we say like, what do I need? Oh, by 3 p.m. I'm hot. Like I feel my energy declining. So we, we don't say, well, how do I want to address that? We want to pretend it doesn't exist. We ignore it. And then we end up right at the vending machine again or whatever other, you know, um, habit that 
um, will give us this false sense of energy when really we need to close our eyes. We might need a cup of peppermint tea because it's invigorating. We might need to go for a walk, get some fresh air. But when we study ourselves, we understand who we are and we're not trying to change ourselves as much as we are to learn who we are, to change the way we change and to do it with compassion. Like, oh, I have a tendency to be vulnerable at three o'clock, like working from home. That's when I need to be out of the kitchen at that point. So I institute an afternoon walk um, to insulate me from some of my, um, what, defaults, really. Um, and we all have them. So we need strategies that give us an alternative way so that we don't fall into the amnesia of what comes naturally. Yeah, so powerful. I just want to have the planner right here. It's a... Oh. It's beautiful. And oh, thank you. Check it out. It's just, it's a really powerful tool. And, you know, um, one of the things that is right, you know, in the beginning and something that you use in your work with clients, I know, is the, the whole life assessment. And I'd love for you to kind of talk about this and how the different parts of life fit together and why it's important to kind of have them in balance and just, you know, or I don't know, is it? <laughs> Yeah, I don't believe in balance. I have yet to meet a balanced person. I think life is more of an orchestra and there's times when percussion's gonna be louder and the strings are quiet. Like it's this. And you know, at this stage in your life with a young child, it's very different than my stage in my life when my son's in college, right? So we have to, it's about attunement, it's about awareness. So a whole life assessment, the idea behind that is checking in with ourselves because again, back to that original point, we are tuned out. I mean, our we are just distracted. And if we don't have ways to pull ourselves back in to our own lives, we're going to be living out other people's lives. We're going to be living vicariously through them or their perceptions of how our lives should be. We need to ground ourselves. We need to root ourselves in strategies, in intention instead of reactivity. So, so every 90 days, and I love working in a 90-day cycle because research supports that's how we can be the most effective. And, and I want to remind you, I Self-care is a tool that I leverage for greater productivity. And most people think they have to choose. Like I'm going to, I actually had a client say to me, I'm not sure I'm ready to work with you yet. And this was in the kind of initial introduction um, stage. I'm not sure because I love getting stuff done. And I'm like, oh, honey, if you love getting stuff done, then you came to the right place. Yeah. Right. I mean, and that's why my, my tagline is because mediocrity is beneath you because we have the people that come to me are people who love getting things done. They love being productive. They want to leave an intentional legacy behind. They're starting, they don't have the energy and the stamina to pull it off anymore um, because they have borrowed future energy with all their habits, um, not depositing enough in the bank account of well-being, um, but doing withdrawal after withdrawal. And so what needs to happen is, you know, we need to start saying, okay, I'm going to use self-care as a tool that's going to give you a competitive edge because 90% of the world is not using it. So automatically you're going to catapult forward um, in your career and in your personal life. Um, but it, it's also, it's not the distraction. It's not the obstacle. It's the how we can do it in a sustainable way. So it requires us to first look with compassion and curiosity and say, hey, how am I doing in my career? How am I doing in my finances? What about my romantic relationship? What Does my home environment support me? What's happening here? And we just rank zero to 10. Um, it is it is self-reporting and um, and you know we have these high expectations in every aspect of our work lives in particular but when it comes clo the closer it gets to ourselves all of a sudden our standards just drop 
And mediocrity becomes okay when it becomes about self-care. Breaking our promises becomes okay when we tell ourselves, oh yeah, I'm going to go for a run in the morning and we blow it off before we've even gotten out of bed. Like, and we keep hitting snooze, um, you know, breaking the contract that we had with ourselves, then we would never do to somebody else. So it's really important that we gain insight with love, not with judgment. Judgment will shut us down. If And this is one of the challenges and it's, it's, um, the, the accountability piece I know is, is, is one of the major reasons that people come to me is they want that accountability. We, we are not good at being accountable to ourselves. Um, but the other piece is we have to, we have to do it with kindness because the minute we start, if, if we say, I want to change, I'm ready to change. And the minute we do, we have to see where we are and where we want to be that gulf that gap can be debilitating and it can become a weapon. We can weaponize that awareness and then we shut down. So let's say you want to lose some weight. Well, in order to lose weight, you have to understand where you are right now. You have to look in the mirror. Um, You have to get on the scale. You have to assess or, you know, put on your favorite jeans, be like, where am I now? And if you can tolerate with cut through kindness and curiosity and compassion, recognition and acceptance of where you are while having a commitment to where you want to go, then you'll be able to change. But if every time you shame yourself, you degrade yourself, you demoralize yourself, you are now going to be resistant to transformation because for you, it means pain. It means shame. So we need to bring a new mindset. We need to say, I'm genuinely curious about my potential. What is my potential in this area? And that opens us up to so much, to become students of ourselves instead of the experts we think we should be. Or or what I see more than anything is letting other people be the experts. We are the experts of our own lives and we have given away that power to anybody that you know writes a book and anybody that is this guru, we just abdicate all of our power. Our responsibility lies here. It's not outside of ourselves, but we have to start with slowing our roll enough to be curious to notice who we are, where we are, what choices we make, what are the consequences for those choices, and either choose them again and again or decide to choose differently. Well, Katie, you are a force of nature and, you know, whatever you're doing, I want some of that. And, you know, anyone who thinks that, uh, you know, you're just such a, you know, kind of walking, talking, you know, kind of full embodiment, you know, of, of all that you espouse and, you know, just a walking testimonial, you know, of the power of this work. And I don't think I could say anything right now that could top what you just said. So I think it's a perfect time to take a, a brief break and, and we'll be right back. Here at Firestarter Interactive, we're proud members of the 1% for the Planet network of businesses, having made the commitment to donate 1% of annual revenue to environmental causes. So for every dollar that we earn, one cent goes back to planet Earth and our mission to make the world a greener, healthier place for our generation and for future generations. That's $1 of every $100, $10 of every thousand. It may not sound like a lot, but every dollar adds up. And collectively, we can and are making a huge impact. With 1% for the Planet members giving back more than $280 million and counting to the environment. Visit 1%fortheplanet.org. That's 1% for the Planet, all spelled out, to learn more. We hope you'll join us. And now we're back. So Katie, you know, there are so many different avenues that we could could explore with this. So it's it's hard to kind of pick just one of them. But, 
you know, stepping back a little bit, we, you've talked about therapy. I, I believe you describe yourself as a coach. You know, could you talk to us a little bit? How, how do you see the role of therapist and coach, you know, as, as different in, in our lives? Yeah. I mean, I often tell my clients that like, I'm not interested in your past. Like, I'm really, I'm really not, I, I'm not skilled to do that. I am not qualified to do that. And many of my clients choose to do therapy. They've got to slay some old dragons. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not going there. I have tremendous respect for the field uh, at my, my direct experience in therapy was it was very helpful um, until for awareness, but it never led to change for me. It never led to actually changing my life in a fundamental way in a day-to-day. The insight was great, but to actually the implementation piece, I, I couldn't take what I was learning from insight and actually bring it into action. And, and that's where my role is. It's like, I care about what you think, what you say, what you do. that's, you know, and what you eat, by the way, I really care about that. So, um, how you talk to yourself, this is, this is my world, food, thought, and time are my world. So to study, um, what happened to you as a child, it's not my purview. I'm it's, um, and frankly, I don't think it's particularly helpful for most people. Um, people that have had trauma by all means, and therapy has a very important role to play in all that. I'm married to a psychiatrist, deep respect for it. However, a lot of people, um, they need to change their lives tactic by tactic, strategy by strategy. And my toolkit is massive. I could not lug it around for the life of me. And, and when I was learning all of this, when I was getting my certification, when I was doing all my training, when I was implementing all these things I knew, I thought in order to be successful in self-care, to be the role model um, of, of my work, was that I had to do all of those tools all the time. And the fact is there was no time left in the rest of the day. So we got to get real. Our job is to, to tune in with ourselves enough to answer the question, what do I need? And that's what I pose in the planner every day. What do I need? Because we're only asking, what do I need to do for everybody else? What do I need to do to get things done, to check off on my to-do list? But we're not asking, what do I need? So when we do, um, we we can then ask ourselves, what is my capacity today? So one of the things that I think is vitally important that was missing from my um, journey for years was what is the context and considerations? What is happening in my life that is going to influence and impact what's possible for me to do today? And I know it it sounds like it takes a lot of time, but at this point, once you ask the question and you actually answer the question, allow, you know, pause long enough to answer the question and then implement and honor the response, the information comes, I say, what do I need? And I know immediately, and I've learned that my day is better when I actually do what I've learned. And, um, and what happens is, so for instance, context and considerations, I'm in the process of moving, my house is being remodeled, I'm staying at a friend's house right now, my son is in college and it's very hard, we're in COVID. Like, I wanna know, um, oh, I have a big presentation. Every single week, all right, what is the context and considerations for this week? And the reason I do that is without that, I will not consult myself at all. I will have these enormous expectations of myself, self, which is not humane and is not taking um, you know, the assessment of, of what I'm really capable of. 
right? What am I humanly, what's humanly possible? And then how can I bring compassion to myself? It's like, oh, my mother had COVID recently. It's like, okay, that influences me. That impacts me. So I need to constantly recalibrate what's possible for me today. Checking in with myself while still holding myself to the goals that I set out to do. And it's a humane way to be like, a kick-ass, like to be badass. It's like a humane, kind, thoughtful, and effective way to still get shit done. I love that. And I love your description of life as an orchestra, you know, rather than this kind of false, (laughs) false sense of balance, you know, that is, that is so pervasive, you know, and how we talk about our lives and when things are out of balance or, you know, it's just such a common, common way we talk about life. But, um, so if you kind of take that to the next level, thinking of, you know, life is this orchestra and orchestras never play something static. It's always, you know, this kind of ever-changing, very rich and dynamic sound because that's how life is. And, you know, it, it kind of follows that the things that we need for self-care are going to be completely different, you know, on a day-to-day, week-to-week, week to week kind of life phase basis. So, um, well, yes and no, though, I would say, because there are some non-negotiable and this is the trick. This is the get off your back, get off your ass thing that we talked about earlier. There are things that are non-negotiable. And once you learn what it takes for you to be at your best, what we want to have happen is I don't debate that anymore. I've been studying this for years. I've been doing this for over two decades. I know what it takes for me to be at my best. And if I asked myself, am I in the mood? Do I feel like it? Um, The answer would be no and no, right? Like, no, I don't feel like meditating. No, I'm not in the mood. Do I have time? No, of course not. So I have, I know what it takes for me to be at my best and I don't debate myself about whether or not I'm going to do it. So that is the foundation of anything else I do. And then it's like, okay, well, what's left? What else can I accomplish here? What are my other responsibilities? Now that I've fulfilled my responsibility to myself, which enables me to have a greater capacity to contribute in any other way, what's next? How can I have the greatest impact? How can I make sure that I'm honoring the goals that I set for myself um, and fueling them with my self-care strategies? So... So it's this kind of uh, the non-negotiable kind of, I'm not a musician, but, you know, a drum beat that's throughout, you know, throughout what the orchestra is playing that is just, you know, always there, something that we always need. And then from there, you know, we kind of layer on top based on, based on, you know, the particular moment and phase. Well, I think most of us have this idea, and I certainly did. Um, oh, I'll take care of myself when I have time. Oh, I'll go to the doctor when I have time. I'll eat healthfully, um, you know, January 1st all these promises that I made, all these negotiations and, and trade-offs. I was selling, again, just you know, selling my present self for this fantasy future self um, that was never going to come into fruition unless I had daily habits. So I think it's um, we have to invert the model and say, once I have done what I need to do, once I have shown up for myself the way I show up for everybody else, then I know what my true capacity is. So what are, what are some of your non-negotiables? Yeah. So my morning routine is, um, it's, it is a non-negotiable and, and I, and the non-negotiables are the things that we do that make us like ourselves, right? Like when I do these things, I have positioned myself to, to really enjoy my own company, to do meaningful work, to feel restored and replenished. So meditation, 
weightlifting, cardio, time in nature, my green tea, my planning time. <laughs> um, these are these are all, and I study every day, thirty minutes something. Um, so because that's I need that intellectual stimulation, and I'm committed to growth, and I my clients deserve that that I'm investing in myself every day. So those are my non negotiables, and um, and it's just there's no debate. And you know I eat a plant based diet, and I have for thirty years, and um, and so um, that's that those are the core. Um, and I'm also somebody, I love a bubble bath. So I have these peripheral, right? Like I said, my toolkit is vast. My job is to know which tool to bring forward for which uh, circumstance. So what my clients do and when I'm working with them is I will say, okay, this is your homework for the next two weeks. I want you to implement the following tools. And then I want you to study yourself. Do you have more energy? Like whatever they're, whatever um, brought them to me, I want them to study that. If they're saying, oh, I'm just so tired. I just don't have any energy. It's like, great. What happens when you have a smoothie Monday through Friday? Um, you know, how does your energy shift? What happens when you go for a walk every day? So they start studying themselves and they'll come back and say, this worked, this didn't work. So we tweak. So what happens is when you want more energy, you're like, oh, when I have a smoothie, I'm more energized. I don't debate. I have a smoothie or a green juice every single morning. And whenever I deviate, I don't feel good. So it's not that I'm following a diet. There's no external constraints that keep me on my path. My clients are shockingly, even after all these years, amazingly successful in consistently implementing what works for them because we fundamentally want to feel good, but we don't know what it takes to feel good because we haven't studied ourselves. So when we know, when I have a smoothie every morning, I feel energized, I wanna be energized, then we have the smoothie. And we're not debating and, and we don't feel deprived because it's coming from, I'm choosing energy over that, you know, that um, moment of um, you know, um, satiety that's fleeting um, and in direct conflict with how good we actually wanna feel. So it's, it's fascinating how quickly my clients can adopt and embrace these habits. And there's no resist, there's resistance initially big time, but they, they come because they want to change. And, and once they realize, once they let the resistance down, we get that out of the way, total transparency. When they start implementing it, they're going to gravitate towards what makes them feel good. And that is a unique prescription. So I, my job isn't to say this is, you know, we're going to superimpose my plan. We're going to actually reunite you with you. We have lost the communication. We no longer romance ourselves. We no longer show interest in ourselves and maybe we never did. So how do we do that? Well, we do that through daily habits and through studying ourselves and to learn once we know what we need to do, we actually do it. So, so true. I think the trade-off, you know, once you, once you learn more about what you need, you know, you, you realize that the trade-off is simply too high, that it's just not worth not doing that thing because like right. you said, that must like not feeling good. And I love when my clients experiment, um, you know, cause they're usually in a six month program, they'll start, so they'll get it. They feel great. And then they'll veer. There'll be some holiday thing. There'll be some vacation. And I love it because they stumble into the next session and they feel like crap. I mean, they're miserable. And I'm like, yes, all you needed, you clearly needed to do more research. Like it's okay. You needed to do more research. 
And, um, and every once in a while, I will do more research myself. And it's ridiculous because I don't need to do it, but I'll just say, but when I do, so I don't drink alcohol. I don't, I, my work is all about being clear headed. I meditate to be clear headed. I journal to be clear headed. Like everything I eat to be clear headed. So it doesn't make sense for me to drink alcohol. I, I don't like, um, not thinking clearly. And that is exactly what alcohol does. Right. So, and that's not judgment. I, I mean, that is, that's, I've discovered what works for me. Anytime I choose to have a glass of wine and it's very rare, more and more rare. I ask myself, I know after years and years of research, how this is going to make me feel. Am I making a decision that I'm accepting what I know is going to be the consequences? And if the answer is yes, right? Cause I can't pretend I don't know. I do know now then I can't weaponize it. So the, the contract I make with myself is you've just said yes. So we are closing off the because what happens is we say, Oh, I, I don't want to eat cake. Then we eat a piece of cake and then we feel disgusting and we beat ourselves up. And so we ate it. We got all the consequences that came with it and we feel, and then we beat ourselves up and it's like, wow, there was no win there at all. So if I make a a choice to eat sugar, um, which also doesn't work for me. And that's the same thing as alcohol. Um, they're sugar. Um, if I make a choice, then I have to say, I'm fully aware that I am, I am signing up to not be at my best the next day. I'm fully aware that I'm going to not want to work out. And now I tell myself, I don't care whether you want to work out, no matter what you eat the night before, no matter what you drank, you were showing up to work out. And once I made that with, with compassion, but self-discipline, um, I think the moment I see a glass of wine, I'm like, oh, it's going to feel, I'm going to feel horrible tomorrow. I consult my future self and my future self is like, don't go there. <laughs> like, we, please don't go there because I want to, I want to have a really great day tomorrow. And that's not possible when you make this choice that we know is going to lead you a compromised version of yourself. So these are the kind of discussions that we need to have with ourselves so that we can make informed adult choices in full awareness about what the consequences are. But most of us are completely disconnected um, from ourselves and we don't understand what those consequences are, or we're so used to tolerating the bloat, the, the fuzzy thinking, the, you know, discouragement, um, all of the despondency, all of the stuff becomes normal. And when we normalize it, uh, we haven't ever tasted what our potential could be. Right. I remember, you know, hearing or reading somewhere, you know, this, this idea of normal versus, you know, kind of like optimal ideal, you know, and yeah. I think we kind of conflate what's normal because I think so many of us walk around in this state of normal, but that doesn't mean it's, it's where we should be, even if it's very pervasive. Yeah. I think we have such low standards for how we feel. And I think our culture supports it. I mean, all the pharmaceutical ads, they all tell us that we're sick. It's normal to take medicine. It's normal to be sick. It's normal to have this stage in life where, you know, we hit middle age and then disease, and then we die. And, you know, and, in a lot of cultures, there is no disease stage, um, that they actually have a tremendous vitality. But in our culture, it is, um, we expect it. Um, we expect it and, and, and I think manifest it um, through our habits to a great degree. Well, Katie, I feel like we could talk all day here and I know we're kind of running to the end almost here. So I wanted just a few more, you know, kind of questions and thought, thoughts I'd love to, to cover before we say goodbye today, but, um, and we'll most 
definitely have to have a part two at some point. I'd be happy to come back, Willa. I'd love that. I'd love that. But, you know, we are still uh, at the start of the year. And uh, one of the other things that I know I've heard you talking about as a way to kind of ground ourselves in who we are, what we need, our, our goals, our, our kind of commitments to ourselves is is this idea of one word, choosing one word, and then kind of having that be the benchmark for decision-making and beyond. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up. We need a filter. It, we don't lack information. We lack filters. We don't, we haven't insulated ourselves from the barrage of information that's coming at us. The choices we have are um, excessive and we really, um, we need a way to say, wait, who am I? What do I need? What is my priority? So, so my one word for this year is awake. And I, I chose that word because it, it's, I feel like there were ways in which I was falling asleep again in some of my habits. And, um, and I wanted to be awake and, and it holds me. So when I look at my meal, will this make me awake or will this anesthetize me? Right. Um, a glass of wine is going to anesthetize me. Um, bread is going to anesthetize me. Um, so will this, will this awaken me? Um, when I, you know, when I don't feel like going on an afternoon walk, I just simply said, well, Katie, this will awaken you. Like I have, so it is a tool to negotiate in a way, um, and, and to protect and, um, what is the word? It's a discernment tool. Like we just have so much coming at us and we need to ground ourselves. So a lot of us have these um, resolutions that we make in January and by usually by now we've forgotten them completely um, or they're the same ones we've made every year and we never fulfill them. So if we don't have something to ground us and root us about what holds us to the version of ourselves we want to bring to this year, to this, I'd like to work in a 90, 90 day cycle. Like I said, I used to do a word for the year, but I found like after 90 days, I was getting itchy. I was like, yeah, I've nailed this word. I need a new word. Um, when I started my business, my word was um, badass. And the reason I chose that word is because it felt naughty it felt elusive. It felt like when I looked up to people, I was like, oh, they're bad. I want that. And I wasn't that. And, um, and so when somebody asked me to be on TV for the first time, my everything about me was like, no, 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 I'm going to say something wrong. I'm going to, you know, they're going to add 10 pounds. I had all these stories. I was terrified. And I just paused and I said, what would a badass do? I had to consult something other than my immediate self because our immediate self is often afraid, defensive, reactive, trying to please people. It does, our immediate self doesn't have our best interests in mind unless we can anchor it and root it. And that's the point of the one word. So all of a sudden I, you, you use that word in every single way. So if I, I have a client that comes to me who's exhausted, it's like energy might be that word. And every day she, she or he is writing a mantra. I am energized. I'm writing every day in my planner. I am awake. And, and it's, it's how I make sense of the world because the world is really big and my head is really crowded and I've got to be able to clear it out and give it a filter. And you know, what will, what will get me back to that sense of place of awakeness, you know? So, so kind of what, what's that cocktail that I need today? So yes, exactly. I love that. Yes. I love the way you phrase that Willa. Yes. 
So, you know, we're the past two years have really kind of our world has really kind of turned itself on our he- on its head. And, you know, we've had kind of respites feeling like we are getting back to, you know, we're talking about COVID here in case uh, <laughs> anyone doesn't remember, um, you know, and we've had, you know, kind of periods uh, over last summer and, you know, um, where, where we've seen some light at the end of the tunnel, but we're kind of back in another moment of Omicron and, you know, kind of feeling like we're going through this again. And, you know, at the same time, you know, our work lives, the way we we socialize, socialization and, and just connecting being such a important thing for our wellness and, you know, just relationship to the world around us. Um, so much of it is virtual, like we're like we're doing right now. And thank goodness we have ways of connecting, but there's also nothing like being together in person, um, which I'm glad we also have the good fortune of doing sometimes. Um, how... I know this is very much a process that we're all going through, you know, and, and something that you've been trying to figure out for yourself. You know, how do we kind of navigate this this new kind of virtual responsibility world that we're living in while our kind of we still have our very real kind of human real world needs and um also this pressure you know if you don't mind me sharing i know when we last ran into each other on a walk so i hope you do continue with our walks you know you expressed like wow you know you were out there so much a lot of it virtual during the pandemic but kind of needing to kind of say okay is that sustainable you know so how do we how do we navigate this kind of new reality that is that is also ever changing right now yeah i uh, I, i wish i had this, you know, cute little formula that I could package in a bow. I can't. I, what I can tell you is what I learned at the start of the pandemic was what an opportunity. If we are privileged enough to isolate ourselves, to, um, you know, we can't go out, but can we go in? I think it was a beautiful invitation um, to all of us from the universe to go inward. And and some of us heeded that call and um, some of us really, really struggled and fought what was. And, and I've often said to people like, what are you waiting for in terms of tending to the relationship you have with yourself through your habits? Like, a pandemic, like, right? Like, well, what are you waiting for? Here it is. Um, it, it is here. And I know there's been so much suffering. And I really felt at the beginning, um, I, I think, you know, the best thing I could do was cry. Um, I, I remember reaching out to my clients and I had bedhead and I just did this, you know, transparent gut wrenching, like, okay, guys, like, here we are. And I'm going to guide you through this. Um, I have no idea where this is going to take us and had a good cry. And then I took a moment and said, okay, this is going to change me. And am I going to have some say about that? And the answer is hell yes, this is going to change me, but I'm going to decide how it's going to change me. And that's when I stepped into the authorship of that moment. And I did, I threw myself very consciously, very intentionally into work. I was like, I'm not going out. We shut it down completely. I had never done a webinar. I did 75 in a year. So I, um, it was, it was perfect. I lost 50 pounds. I transformed everything. I mean, I moved I, all this stuff. It was, um, it was deliberate. I launched my planner, deliberate, badass, conscious, and not sustainable. I didn't have, it was great. I, no regrets. I, I thought that was, it, I'm really proud of how I responded because it was, who do I want to be on the other end of this? What I didn't do well is know when I had reached the end. Like I, I didn't, 
say, okay, Katie, now it's this chapter has ended and, and it's like anybody launching a business. It's like, oh, I'm launching the business and they put this intensity and it's a strategy and it makes sense, but then they never shift into a sustainable model. And that's exactly what I did. And then I just, it's, I just really had trouble recalibrating and getting myself into a routine that reflected what my capacity was and um, felt exhausted and depleted and all of these things. And, um, and so I begin again, right? I, with awareness, with compassion, definitely some frustration, but I begin again, here I am. What did I learn? Obviously I needed to learn more. And what I learned is those transitions just like I've learned with my clients, when you're transitioning from work to home, they've got to be very intentional or it's going to get really sloppy and messy. Transitioning to bed, also another time. So I missed the transition point. I didn't, there wasn't this moment when I felt like, ta-da, this chapter has ended and now we begin again. And as a result, it was rough. And, and I'm just now understanding what it is that I need to do to this new version. Um, and that new version includes no social media at all. And I'm not even interested in so like it wasn't even, I did very little. I had somebody help me put my content out there, but even that was like done. And any opportunity I have to not be on the screen, I'm not. And unapologetically so, because I owe it. I mean, self-care is a responsibility. Um, it is It is a duty so that I can serve the world in the way that I can. And all of us have that same responsibility. We have permission and we have responsibility. And therefore, if that means I need to get off the screen in order to protect myself so that I can bring my best to the world, then that's what I'll do without apology. But it's been, it was messy. It was, it, I missed it. And I'm an expert in this and I missed it. So, so I, you know, I begin again. Well, Katie, you know, that you're able to, in this very short time frame, have that, you know, ability to self-reflect, be honest, course correct, you know, kudos to you. It shows, you know, that, that you're doing the right things to have your, you know, tools of self-assessment and that it's working. So, you know, thank you. We all need more of that. And I'm just, you know, happy you're here today. And thank you for giving us your presence via the screen. I know, you know, thank you on behalf of all who will listen to this podcast. So, you know, we should wrap up now. We will have a part two. Um, I would love for you to share with our listeners how they can find you. So I encourage you to go onto my website, which is benourished.com. It's B-N-O-U-R-I-S-H-E-D. And you can schedule a complimentary 30-minute session if you're interested in my concierge coaching. Um, and there's also content on how to get over overwhelm. So it's very curated content. And I hope you sign up for the newsletter because I really want to disrupt our thinking that self-care is selfish. I love it, Katie. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for sharing another episode of the Firestarter podcast, people, ideas, and conversations that move us forward. If you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to the podcast, find show notes, as well as the video of today's show at firestarterix.com slash podcast. That's firestarterix.com slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Willa Kammerer, that's K-A-M-M-E-R-E-R, and at Firestarter IX, and I'm Willa Kammerer on LinkedIn. This is the Firestarter Podcast. I'm your host, Willa Kammerer, and I can't wait to share our next conversation. In the meantime, stay safe, 
stay well, and let's stay busy making the world a better place.